Jen, that was absolutely beautiful, beautiful. That was Jen Dietz leading worship, as she often does here. I'm Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher today. And I am just so excited about today's message because she's talking about thank you, Jesus, as we were just singing, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Thankfulness and gratefulness is the royal road to the presence of God. And when we cultivate thankfulness, not pretending like things are great out there, but in the face of realities, still being grateful for a whole bunch of things. The Lord says to be thankful in all things, not for all things. And there's a big difference. We don't want to be thankful for terrible things or people dying of COVID or whatever, or a war breaking out somewhere or a tsunami. We don't want to be thankful for that, but we want to be thankful in all things. And we can find thankfulness in all things. I just want to thank everyone who is filling in for me. My wife took me to Death Valley this last week. I'm Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher. And uh, my wife took me to Death Valley for my birthday, and we had a wonderful time camping. And I just want to thank the people who stepped in and taught during that time. Jen, who just led worship, uh, has a really wonderful teaching on our YouTube channel. And if you haven't been to our YouTube channel after the service today, go to that and subscribe. And we have a really deep bullpen here. I'm looking out at Matt and Stan and others who uh, taught during the last week. We have daily Bible teachings. We'd love to have you get through the word with us every single day, especially during times like this. There is, as Pastor Tamara said last week, crises like this either bring us closer to the Lord or we drift away. And it's important that we lean into the Lord. And I'm so blessed to be part of a congregation that does that. Uh, So blessed to see so many of you here in person and also online. We've got uh, YouTube going and Facebook. Uh, greetings to David Wester in the Philippines and Karen Rogos in uh, Holland and everyone in between, Midwest, Canada, and people just paying attention. It's just great to have you with us here, your honorary wellies, wherever you are here at The Well. Our Advent sermon series, Advent is the time when we're spending four weeks getting ready for the celebration of the birth of Christ. And Advent is actually not about getting ready for the birth of Christ, because guess what? He's already been born. It's uh, traditionally a time to look forward to the return of Christ and the things that are coming. Uh, Come Lord Jesus, we don't expect him to come back as a baby. We expect him to come back in power and in glory. And we believe in a a soon-coming king. And so Advent is a time to look forward to, with hope, to the next year. So each day we light another candle. And uh, each week we light another candle, the four Advent candles. This is the second Sunday in Advent. And Advent is a time to look towards the future. But our sermon series right now is What's Next for Me as we look forward. Uh, What's next is the Lord is going to come in power and set everything right. And that's the good thing. And basically the story of the Bible is this. There will be progress. God will have his way with things. Things are going to get better, but there are also setbacks. The whole Bible story narrative is a story of setbacks and triumphs, setbacks and victories. Who thinks Jesus had a setback on the cross? Sure he did, but then once again on Easter, he rose from the grave, and that victory came after the setback. And so there's setbacks and there's steps ahead. If, if, if the Bible were a country song, it'd be three steps forward, two steps back. But we have more steps forward than back, and over time, God gets his way. And the Bible is very clear that it's not an easy path between now and then. And we're going to talk about that next week, what the Bible says about the future. But what's next for us? We are here. Last week, Pastor Tamara talked about faith, denial, and laments, the laments of the Bible. And I loved how she said that laments are a form of faith. And if you haven't seen that teaching, I would really encourage you to go back and get encouraged from that teaching. Today, we're going to talk about how important it is not to miss the good during a rough year. I think everyone alive, unless you're living under a rock, would say that this year has been one of the most challenging years. Every time I drive by a business area, there's another store closed permanently and cleared out, and another business has failed, and people have been laid off, or they've been furloughed. And we have wonderful people here in our congregation who've been through COVID, the McDougals, 
And we're not sure with Alan. Alan tested negative, but he sure seems like he had it and uh, had all the same symptoms last week. And we prayed for him a couple weeks ago, and he got better very quickly, which was a wonderful thing. But uh, we don't want to miss the good in a rough year. And so I'm going to read to you a passage which really fits well for this year, for 2020. And it has to do with Elijah. And in Hebrew, his name is Eliahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet was definitely one of the Mount Rushmore guys as far as the Old Testament goes. When uh, Jesus goes to the transfiguration, who shows up? But Moses and Elijah show up uh, in person at Jesus' transfiguration. So definitely even the top two of Old Testament guys. And Elijah was having a rough time. He was having a 2020 experience. He had a showdown with Jezebel. And Jezebel, by the way, just, just for your own information, if you're expecting a baby, don't name your daughter Jezebel. It's one of those Bible names. You know, Everybody wants a Bible name, but Jezebel is not a good one. Just kind of stay away from that if you can. Uh, Jezebel had it out for Elijah, and they had a showdown, a Super Bowl. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Lord set up altars and basically said, all right, uh, whichever God is real is going to show up and burn up this offering. And Elijah won the Super Bowl. So he came out on top ahead. And then Jezebel said, well, that's it. Uh, I'm going to kill you for that. And so basically the whole government and everybody else was out to get Elijah. So Elijah took off took off and fled because uh, Jezebel was out to get him. And that's where we pick up the story here in 1 Kings 19. When Ahab, now Ahab is another really bad Bible name. So if you've got a boy on the way, Ahab and Jezebel are really bad names. Uh, they're married, uh, quite, a, quite a power couple in a bad way. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. It wasn't good enough just to win the battle. He had to kill all the prophets of Baal, too, which kind of set the teeth on edge of the royal couple. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, when you get a death threat, most of us think, well, that's a kook. But if the queen gives you a death threat, that's something you pay attention to. And you think, okay, uh, where am I going to be safe? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. So he's having a 20-20 week. Pray that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. I had this big win, but now they're out to get me. So uh, this looks really, really, really bad. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked uh, bread baked on hot stones, in and out burgers, and a jar of water. So he, no, that's, sorry, I misread that. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You ever notice how in and out burgers smile at you when you hold them? Just, they just have that little smile. I just love it. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, basically whining, wah, wah, wah. I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. I've All I've done for you, after all I've done for you, the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. When things go really bad for our country, for ourselves, we start to think, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? 
if you would have told me last summer that we'd be in this position with the pandemic now in December, I would not have believed you. And it's just continuing to go on and on and on. And the numbers are not looking good. And the numbers weren't all that bad when we didn't know people. But most of us now know people who've been diagnosed with COVID, and some of them have really struggled with it in a big way. It started to get real for a lot of us. Elijah replied, I've zealously done all these things. I've had a terrible time. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And it's easy psychologically to let bad news get the better of us. Who here, is, who here enjoys job reviews? Job reviews are horrible. Uh, I used to hate giving them, and I used to hate receiving them. And who besides me knows that if you get a job review, the boss can say five or six great things about you, but what stands out in red letters is the thing that your boss says that you need to work on. For whatever reason, you go to bed thinking about that at at night, not the other things. Our minds tend to focus on the negative. They quickly go to the negative. You see where this is happening with Elijah. He He forgets the fact that he won the Super Bowl here against the prophets of Baal, and it was a great victory, but all of a sudden, boom, you know, it's, uh, it's not feeling so good. Go out, the Lord says, and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and Elijah stood there on the mountain, and the Lord passed by. And the mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, or in the King James Version, a still, small voice. I love how it said, uh, the Lord speaking. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats, wah, wah, wah. He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When we get into a complaining mode, we start to repeat ourselves, and we create a narrative around our life. Oh, bad stuff always happens to me. This happened, that happened, and then another thing happened. And next thing, you know, we've got a whole speech that we give to people when they ask us how we're doing. The Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Yehu, Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And Elisha not Elijah, Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. In other words, I'm benching you. I'm benching you because you keep complaining. Even when you hear my voice, I fed you all the way down here. What I want you to do is pull up your socks and go back home. In other words, it's fine to go back home. You're going to be safe. Anyone who escapes Hazael will be killed by Jehu. Those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Baal is the idol that the people in the northern kingdom were worshiping. I've seen a a statue of Baal from this time. At the Oriental Oriental Institute in Chicago, there's a little golden statue of Baal from the 10th century BC. And there he sits, and uh, he's in a glass case. And it's the only time I've ever done this, but I flipped him the bird just in case it ends up in heaven on the videos. I want the Lord to know that I was not there bending my knee to Baal. I was actually just... I, so if you ever see a statue of Baal, you have my permission to flip him the bird. I think it's important to do that. Let the Lord know where you stand. Just You want clarity there with Baal. You know, there's no, there's no, you don't want to show interest in, even at the museum. So that's the way that works. So basically, Elijah was told, he said, there's no one left. I'm the only one left. And the Lord says, what, how many are left? 7,000. He was 7,000 times off. And we're going through a bad time. We often, I'm not saying those bad times aren't real. 
that threat from Isabel, Jezebel, was real. It was real, very real. But we tend to multiply the fear and the danger. We tend to get worried about those things. You send in your taxes and you work real hard on them. You think, well, I'll probably get audited. I mean, it's, it doesn't happen all that often. It's just, it's just amazing how we often go to worst case. We often go to worst case. My wife's 20 minutes late coming home, and I'm, con I'm convinced she's in a ditch somewhere, and some semi ran over their car. You know, and it, we instantly go to worst case. That's what Elijah did. He went to worst case. And the Lord says, I can't use you anymore, so I'm going to replace you with Elisha. Because you just don't get it. I fed you all the way down here. I came to you with my voice. I asked you what's going on, and you, all you did was give me your litany of complaining. So what does that tell us about 2020? The truth is good news doesn't get any attention. I hear people over and over say, I wish the news would report good stuff. And you know what? They try it all the time. And every time they do it, their ratings go down. And they can't afford to do that. It's, it's just, I've been in media directly. I've been in, in major broadcast radio. And anytime we do a nice little story about somebody, people just disappear. And our ratings go down. People are attracted to disaster. People are attracted to bad news. And we tend to gravitate towards it. What's going to get your attention? Somebody saving a puppy or on the news or a hurricane hitting a city in Bangladesh and people dying. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to watch the negative stuff. That's just the way we are. We tend to gravitate towards that. And we tend also, I don't know why it is as Christians, to tend towards pessimism. Because we love the Lord, and we love holiness, and we love goodness, and we see evil in the world, and we start to fixate on the evil, and we start to think it's getting worse and worse all the time. Well, I'm going to show you some really interesting statistics. Now, these are not cherry-picked statistics. These are statistics which have been carefully put together by a lot of people and by the United Nations. And politicians... Have, we just went through an election cycle, and basically politicians try to convince all of us that everything's terrible. And it'll be even more terrible if the other person gets elected. And that's their shtick. I have interviewed gobs of politicians. In the 2012 elections, I think I interviewed everybody who was running on the radio. And they're really good at one thing, two things. One, making you afraid, and two, convincing you that they're the ones who are going to fix what you're afraid of. And you get them outside of that, they can't even really talk about anything else. It becomes the thing that's, that's their deal. That's their sales job. And it does get people's attention. Who here likes negative ads on TV during election cycles? Ah, what was it? Uh, Michelle Steele, the most crooked person in uh, whatever. And Harley Ruta, heartless Harley Ruta. We saw these ads over and over and over, back and forth between these two. And it was just all negative. And you know why they do it? It works because we gravitate towards negativity. And as people of faith, we need to make sure we don't gravitate. Toward, we need to be intentional about not gravitating towards negativity. Because faith and negativity really can't cohabit. They don't fit together well. Let's look at some real statistics here. Battle deaths. And if you want to follow these... Uh, Online, on Facebook or YouTube, you can follow these, uh, these slides. But basically, I'm showing you a slide here from 1945 to 2015. Battle deaths per 100,000 in population. Huge battle deaths in the 40s, of course, World War II. Then after 1965, with uh, Vietnam and some other things, it went up a little bit came down, and then there was a whole bunch of Cold War battles all over the world. Remember when Russia and the United States were battling in all these little proxy wars all over the place? A little bump there. And right now we are at less than 5% for the last decade, less than 5% of battle deaths of what it used to be. Do you know that you are 135th, not 35%, 135th is likely to die because of war as people in the Middle Ages? They were 35 times more likely to die in war 
than we are today. So war is this, this, this terrible thing, and it is terrible. But statistically, the, and every battle death is a tragedy. But 400 and some thousand people died in the Battle of the Bulge in 1945. And in Okinawa, too. The Battle of Okinawa is bloody. Huge, massive, six-figure deaths. And we lose 3,000 people in Afghanistan and 3,000 people in Iraq. Now, that's terrible. Every one of those is terrible. But the deaths have been coming down, 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 down. Throughout history, violence is dropping. Your chance of being killed at the hands of another person is a fraction of it was what it was for our grandparents, and they were a fraction of it was what it was for their grandparents. Look at the Bible if you don't believe me. Every battle, thousands of people getting slaughtered. You just read this stuff in Sunday school, you're thinking, holy smokes, has anybody even left? It, violent people. King David was so violent that God wouldn't let him build the temple. You've got too much blood on your hands. What was the song? Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Part of the Old Testament is a bloody book, and it gets better and better over time. And then the Prince of Peace shows up and says, love your enemies, and that starts to affect people. We're not living in a more violent society than we were. The, the democracy index, the next slide. There are three times as many democracies operating where people have real choices in voting. I'm not talking about just one person on the ballot. Three times as many as when I was born. I mean, think about that. Three times as many. That's a fantastic thing. Democracy is continuing to increase throughout the world. And right now we are around, I think, 70% of the world live in what we call free democracies. That was unthinkable when I was a kid. And we were all thinking communism is going to take over and dictatorships are going to take over and then democracy will be over with. And it never happened. Rape, sexual assault, and violence per 100,000 women. It's gone from 1,500... 1,500 per 100,000 women in 1993 to 250 to just over 500 in 2013. It continues to drop. It's a fraction of what it was in 1995. And we think, oh, the this, this sexual violence is just taking off. No, it's not. People are not tolerating it anymore. And people are saying this is not okay. And people used to kind of turn a blind eye to it. They're not anymore. It's never been safer to be a woman in the United States than right now. Never, ever, ever. It's, oh, I can never go out these days. It's never been safer. It's never been safer for women to walk around. It's never been safer for kids to walk around. The violent crime rate is dropping everywhere. The abject poor, this is the big one. 200 years ago, 90 to 95% of people in the world were living in abject poverty. I'm talking about people had to walk a long ways to get water. They'd scrape a living out of the ground, do whatever they could. And now it's down to, I believe, around 10% of the world is living in abject poverty. When I was born, it was around 35 to 40%. It's been, remember when Paris used to say, starving kids in China? When you didn't finish your dinner? Uh, we could send that to the starving kids in China or India. Folks, the biggest problem in China right now is being overweight. It, it's, a, it's a rich and developing country, and hundreds of millions of people in China and in India are now in the middle class. For the first time last year, 52% of the Chinese population make enough money to live in the American middle class. Think about that, compared to what it was when I was a kid. It is gigantic. And the freeing up of markets in China and India have created the biggest boom of middle-class living there's ever been in the history of the world. We're talking hundreds of millions in each country, the whole population of the U.S. ending up in the middle class in those countries where the middle class used to be tiny in those countries. Poverty continues to drop, and the United Nations says that within 15 years, abject poverty, I'm talking about the kids with the distended bellies and the flies on their eyes and that, in 15 years, it will probably be gone if things continue as they're going. Think about that. This is something we should be cheering about, but you don't hear it in the news because it's gradual. You don't hear in the news, 5,000 people were taken out of poverty today. They're now in the middle class. You don't hear that. It's not news because it's been happening their whole lifetime. World illiteracy rate. Oh, this is, this is a big one. 
the world illiteracy rate continues to drop and drop and drop and drop. Even in countries like Ethiopia, I'm not talking just Sweden. And female literacy is, has been one of the biggest boom things there's been in world history since I was born. Women who can read create abundance and prosperity in their nations. It's just the way it is. Female literacy is the most correlative thing to a country's prosperity, the thing that correlates the most. The, the higher percentage of women who can read, the more prosperous your society. That's just the way it works. And female literacy is multiples of what it was when I was born. And I wasn't born that long ago, although it was six decades. Anyways, we'll move on. Life expectancy. Life expectancy in the world stayed around 25 or 30 for centuries and centuries and centuries. In developed countries, now it's in the 80s. In developing countries, it's in the 70s. And in the poorest countries, it's now in the 60s. Moving straight up. I'm talking Ethiopia here, folks. I'm not talking Belgium. The average lifespan in sub-Saharan Africa is equal now to what the lifespan was in developed Europe in the 50s. That's a big difference. A lot of it has been through missionaries and short-term missionaries, and people have done all kinds of agricultural products and digging wells and doing all kinds of things all over the world. A lot of Christians have done a lot of these things because they believe in a Lord who cares about these things. Oh, and natural disasters, they've never been worse. Here's the thing with natural disasters. Nat people dying from natural disasters have never been lower than now, and now is like a tiny fraction of what it was a couple generations ago. Are there less natural disasters? No. Do we have better infrastructure and better rescue technology? Yeah, we do. And now you can have a massive earthquake, and you hear it on the news. Well, there was no, no significant damage and no significant injuries. We hear it all the time. And those same earthquakes would have killed hundreds of people 100 years ago because we know how to build buildings now, and we know how to rescue people, and we know how to prepare for things, and we have got better communication, and we've got telecommunication satellites that tell you when a hurricane's coming. Wouldn't you love to live in Galveston back in the day when they didn't have satellites, and all of a sudden a hurricane shows up? Don't even have time to board up the windows. Things have really changed in terms of that, natural disasters. Here's the big one. The U.S. violent crime rate has been dropping and dropping and dropping. Per 100,000 people, it was between 488 and 520 in 2000. And now it's between 300 and 390. 2014, 2015 continues to drop. And this is the one nobody understands. Sociologists have looked at this, and they can't figure it out. There doesn't seem to be one reason why the violent crime rate has dropped so much. Uh, it's really never been safer to walk this, the streets of the United States than it is right now. People say, these days, you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you really can. Is there still danger out there? Are there still weirdos? Is there still violence? Yeah, there is. It's a fraction of what it was. And it continues to drop, and sociologists can't figure it out. This is the one thing that they have a really hard time coming up with a reason for it. But uh, it could be five or six different reasons, but we'll take them. They're all good. Next slide I've got here. Long-term real growth in U.S. GDP, the wealth of our economy. Real growth indexed, indexed for inflation. Wendy and I were out at Death Valley, and there's a Borax Works, and they said uh, the Chinese workers here only got like $1.60 a day or something like that. Well, $1.60 back then is worth about $90 to $120 now, geared for inflation. So they really were paid fairly well, considering there's nothing to spend it on in Death Valley. You're out there in the middle of nowhere. And my grandfather once told me, because uh, he was from way back, and he says, I remember before income tax. He says, I remember you made a dollar, you kept a dollar. And he says, you know what a dollar, if I, you know what a dollar could buy compared to what it can now? And this was before he died. He said, it's worth 79 of your dollars now. So people say, oh, they got along for just $20 a day. Well, multiply that by 79. So we have to gear these things for inflation, but the GDP of the United States has just taken off. Our productivity in this country is crazy. Walk through Kohl's 
they're never going to sell all those clothes. It, we've got our productivity is so high. We've got 58 kinds of, of breakfast cereal, a million kinds of, of cat food, and everything else. We, we're overproducing almost everything. We don't even have enough consumers for all the stuff we've got. You can order anything and have it show up on your porch in two days. And there it is. The productivity has just risen so much. You know why? We're not wasting so much time because we've got smartphones and we're, we've got all kinds of directions and ways to solve problems that we didn't have before. You can, you can fix anything now just looking on YouTube and asking them, you know, how to fix your washer. Boom, there it is. Some guy with a bow tie will tell you how to fix your washer. It's wonderful. We live in a fantastic time. Are there still problems? Yes, there are. But we have to use our intelligence and look at the real statistics. The last one I'm going to show you, air pollution. Air pollution in the United States is 60 to 85% less than it was in 1980. That's particulates and sulfur dioxide and those kind of things. The air is way cleaner than it used to be. And we talk about these ecological disasters. And yes, we have to take care of the planet. Yes, we have to be really concerned about these things. But the stuff we're pumping in the air is way better. Than, who remembers what smog used to be like in L.A.? Or what it used to be like in London? When my wife and I first went to London, I blew my nose after being there for a week, and it was black. It was literally black in the Kleenex from all the soot and all the coal dust, and that was decades ago. Now London is not like that anymore. Air pollution has gotten a ton, a ton better. So, once again, good news gets no attention. So, some practicalities. Just like Elijah, 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me, 1 Kings 19, we need to understand our emotional bias towards bad news and fight against it. We fight against it with faith. This doesn't mean to be unrealistic. This doesn't mean to pretend like bad things aren't happening, because they are. But less of them. Why? Because we have a God who cares about his creation and a God who, will, who promises to continue working with us. Understand our bias. Number two, don't be in denial about real problems. Compassion needs cultivation and maintenance. The Dutch have a great phrase, dit gaat niet goed. And when something's starting to go wrong, they will say that. And it's not just complaining. It's when things get really bad and start to accelerate. Like if someone's starting to cough and they start to choke, someone in Dutch will say, we, we need to pay attention to this. This is getting worse. And some things are getting worse. We need to pay attention to them and have compassion. And just because we have all these good statistics doesn't mean we shouldn't be compassionate upon the hungry that we still have and the problems that we still have, and the violence we still have. We need to cultivate that. Know the facts. There's two names you need to look at. Hans Rosling from Sweden, that's R-O-S-L-I-N-G, Hans Rosling, and Steven Pinker. Look them up on YouTube. They're the ones who've done the most research on all these statistics, and their books, like the bottom half of each page, is footnotes. These are well-researched things, and they've both done things for the United Nations. And the United Nations is uh, looking at this globally and how we figure out how to eradicate some of these problems. And some of them can be. Smallpox has been eradicated. We don't hear about polio anymore. There's a lot of good things happening, and we want them to continue happening. And bad stuff is still going to happen, folks, because of viruses and bacteria. You are like a chocolate cake in the eyes of a virus. I mean, a virus wants, you're just a, a, a treat. And we're always going to have challenges with viruses and bacteria. I'm surprised it's taken that long for another big one to hit like this one. But we need to understand that with our minds and with cooperation, we can create vaccines and with prayer and with concern for other people and with working with God and with faith. So know the facts. Hans Rosling and Steven Pinker have some amazing videos out, and they've done the most research of anyone on these long-term trends of what's going on. Next one, be evangelical. What do I mean by that? This is an evangelical church. Evangelical means literally, it's a Greek word. EU means good. Angelion means news. 
good news. Gospel comes from good and spiel, an old German word for story, good story, a play. So being evangelical means to be people who share good news. Do you think American culture thinks of evangelical churches as people who share the good news? All we do is share bad news. All we do is complain about everything around us. Oh, things are getting terrible. Eh, there's this, and oh, there's that. And, eh. and we're more complaining sometimes and more negative than people outside the church. We need to be sharing good news with people and to share the good side of what's going on, that God is in charge. Folks, God is not going to let his creation fall apart. He's not going to let us just unravel. He's going to be with his church, by the way. Jesus promises that the, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's fairly strong language. And the church is not going to disappear. The church is going to get stronger during times like this. And we need to speak that good news about the church and about faith and about the Christian faith and about the truth of the Bible and the importance of the Ten Commandments and the kind of things that we have to share that are good news for people, that God is getting his way with creation. Next one, have a healthy mistrust of disaster conspiracies. I just turned 60. And the cool thing about turning 60 is you've heard it all before. The world is going to end. It's a, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. The Russians are going to blow us up. Acid rain is going to kill us. Uh, it's always another apocalypse. And the sky is never really fallen they keep talking about the sky about to fall like Chicken Little, and it just never happens. And it's good to get older because you start to get a little bit of wisdom about what's going on. There's always another scare thing. This is going to this is going to killer bees, murder hornets, uh, whatever is going to happen is just going to run us over. And it's great getting older because you realize here we're still here. We're still here, and we're doing really pretty well. Have a healthy mistrust of disaster conspiracies. Now, there's bad stuff out there, and sometimes conspiracies turn out to be real. Just because, uh, just because um, you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you, that kind of thing. But still, it, it can happen. But still, still we have a healthy mistrust if someone says everything's about to go totally wrong. Because it almost never does. Number five, pessimism is not a spiritual gift. Pessimism is not a spiritual gift, and it's incompatible with the Christian faith. Murphy's Law and the gospel of Jesus Christ do not belong in the same brain. Murphy's Law is that everything will go wrong will, you know, it's, it's, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And Bill Zerson and I were putting together that heating lamp there, and we almost went into Murphy's Law territory this morning because it was quite the construction job putting that together. But it's easy to do that, but we can't go there. Pessimism is not a spiritual gift. It's incompatible with the Christian faith. This is a church with Lutheran background and charismatic Pentecostal background. We don't have a lot of what we call Reformed background, but the beauty of the Reformed tradition, that's the Dutch Reformed, um, the, the folks from the Church of Scotland, uh, Calvinists, the cool thing about Calvinists is they really do believe that God's in charge. They call it the sovereignty of God. And we can learn a lot from every faith family. And the thing that the Reformed faith has, which is just so beautiful, is hardcore Reformed churches always start their worship service with the same, the same thing. And here's what they say. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who never abandons the work of his hands. You start every worship service like that. It gets into your blood. That God is not going to abandon the work of his hands, and that's from the Bible, and so is our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, who never abandons the work of his hands. If we could say that to ourselves every morning, that would be a gift of the Reformed tradition to us. To remember that God is large, in charge, and he's not going to... We're his science fair project. He's, it's not, he's not going to get an F on it. 
I mean, we're his, crea- we're his creative project, and he's going to get an A in this project, and he will get his way with things. It'll be three steps forward, two steps back. There will be problems. There will be trouble in this world. But still, in the end, the Lord will get his way. And I'm going to close here with one verse. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work within us will bring it to completion. Will there be struggle? Did Jesus face struggle? Yes, he did. But did God bring it to completion? Yes, he did. We're going to face hardship. We're going to face tribulation. We're going to face all kinds of bad stuff. We're facing it this year. But have courage because God has overcome the world. I'd like you to repeat after me, those of you here in person and those of you also just watching. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who never abandons the work of his hands. I'd like to pray with you. Lord, uh, we need a mind shift. Your word says that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And for some of us, especially years like this, pessimism starts to get the upper hand over faith. And fear starts to get in the way of courage. And Lord, we want to flip a switch in our minds, in that battlefield of the mind. That will give us that nevertheless faith. Yes, we face financial challenges, nevertheless. Yes, we face physical challenges, medical challenges, nevertheless. Yes, we face political challenges, nevertheless. Yes, we face relational challenges, nevertheless. Lord, we we pray that you would give us as a gift that nevertheless faith that we'd be able to receive from you the way you see the world. And we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wouldn't have asked us to pray that if he didn't believe it was possible. And until earth looks like heaven, Lord, we've got work to do. But you've given us lots of evidence, Lord, that you're at work in the world. For you hate hunger, you hate poverty, you hate distress, you hate aggressive warfare, you hate violence against women, you hate ignorance and illiteracy. And Lord, you're at work every corner of the planet improving those things and removing suffering until everything is the way it should be, Lord, and nothing is missing and nothing is broken. We believers have work to do, but we can't do it if we don't believe you're going to succeed. So we trust in your strength to have your way with your creation. Help us to have that in day-to-day life and help us to be evangelical, news, good news bringers to other people and not just to reinforce the pessimism. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, House. Um, We've all been there where we just focus on the negative and we get down in our pity parties and um, we look at everything with dark-colored glasses, really, instead of rose-colored glasses. We look at them with that dark colored glasses and I was just talking to someone the other day and I said you know I really try so hard and it's really it's been really hard lately to look at the world to look at people to look at everything that's going on with God God's eyes and to look at what he sees and how he sees things and it's tough sometimes it's really difficult at times and I know for us Californians, 
right now we're getting put back on a stay-at-home order and people are grumbling and complaining. And I was there a little bit yesterday too um, because we don't understand why the numbers are going up. We don't know why certain things close and other things can stay open. And it just seems random and unfair. And my heart, and Matt and I were talking about this morning, our hearts go out to those that are having to close again and most likely will lose their business because they can't keep opening and closing. They can't, so restaurants can't survive on just takeout. And so it's hard not to get wrapped up in all of that. Um, and the only thing I can say is let's just pray. We just need to be in prayer. And when I heard that liturgy this morning, that house was um, saying, let me get it back up. Is this it? Nope, not that one. Well, now I can't. Oh, maybe it's this one. There it is. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, who never abandons the work of his hands. I thought, I need to start saying that every morning. And then House said, we need to start saying that every morning. If we all start saying that every single morning, that's going to help change our mindsets. It's going to help change our attitudes. It's going to help change how we look at the world, at looking at our circumstances, at looking at everything. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence what we are praying for in our December prayer cards either. And I'm going to get to those in just a minute. So that's my two cents on that. So um, we want to get to know you. We want to get to pray for you. If you are online, please um, send me a DM, um, put it on our prayer wall, what prayers you need. For those of you that are here, that are outside, you got there's connection cards on the tables, you guys. Um, so please pick one of those up, fill it out, put it in the connection box. That's outside as well. And um, we will um, pray for you. You can also email me at Tamara underscore Dorica at yahoo.com. And I usually put those prayer requests out Monday evening or Tuesday morning. So try to get get them to me Monday morning. That would be best. Um, prayers for December. Uh, guys outside, you have your prayer cards. They're on the table. Um, and it's a very simple prayer. We're going to pray that this season we sense God's presence. We are praying that Jesus is front and center of all of our celebrations. We are praying for relationships to be renewed and strengthened and pray our hearts are open to hear God's message of love. Really, we're putting God in the center. And when we do that, our circumstances in the world looks a lot different. So make sure that through all of this, God is at the center. God is at the center of everything, that Jesus is at the center of everything, that you're depending on the Holy Spirit for everything. We also pray for our president, our sitting president. So pray for President Trump. We pray for our governor. And I know for some of you, it's hard to pray for our governor, California's governor. But pray for wisdom and guidance, love. <laughs> it's hard to do sometimes. And just that he is blessed and that that blessing will overflow into his work and that it will overflow into our state so that's what if you so this is my take if you pray for bad things to happen for our leaders bad things are going to happen to us because they can't do their job so if we can pray blessings on them that blessings are going to overflow into us how's that one for that i just thought of that this morning okay god thank you for giving me that this morning how's that uh we're doing our bible reading so please make sure you're joining us uh, every day. Reading our, we're reading a chapter a day, um, most of the time. Reading a chapter a day, and then house. <coughs> unless it was last week, we had a bunch of guest teachers, which was kind of fun to see what other people had to say. Um, but every day we do a daily video, and house will be back on that tomorrow. Um, so join us for that. But read it yourself. See what God shows you, and then go and see what house tells you or teaches you about. You'll get more out of it that way. Teacher training back on tonight, 4 p.m., open forum. So House said prepare at least two questions for House and the group. So pre be prepared. And if you've never joined, still come and join us. You can ask House um, two questions. That might be fun. Are you ready for anything, House? She said, you bet. So um, join us tonight, 4 o'clock. And if you need the Zoom link, you can get a hold of house at um, hbhouse at gmail.com. <coughs> if you didn't know, we've been having fires, so the air is really dry, and my throat's really dry. It's horrible. 
That's why I'm coughing. No COVID, I promise. Uh, Christmas Eve services. Yes, we are having Christmas Eve services. They will be candlelight services. We're going to be, um, the theme is finding hope in turbulent times. Or, yeah, finding hope in turbulent times. Um, <laughs> so it's December 24th, 5 and 7 p.m. So we'll have two services. <coughs> Excuse me so much. Um, two services uh, to help keep the crowds down. Cause we, and we will be outside. But I'm going to tell you, we've got a big giant tent that we're going to be putting up here soon. And we have table heaters. They just arrived this week, so we're putting them together and making sure they work. So we'll be able to keep you nice, toasty, warm. And then um, we're hoping to have child care at 5 p.m. And then um, every it'll be a family service at 7 p.m. And for those of you outside, we've got flyers to hand out to people you want to invite. So please take those. Those are on the table as well. So we thought during this time we need to have a little fun. So the Sunday before Christmas, um, so that's December 20th, we're going to ask everyone that's here, and even if you're at home, we want you to wear your ugly sweaters, your ugly outfits, uh, Christmas sweaters, Christmas sweater outfits, whatever it is. Um, and then if you're online, we want you to take pictures and show us. And if you're here, there's going to be a prize for the ugliest Christmas sweater. How's that? So we just want to have a little bit of fun um, during this season um, and during this time. This year has been so blah that we want to have fun. So on the 20th, wear your ugly Christmas sweaters and um, let's have some fun. Okay, but there will be a little prize for whoever has the ugliest Christmas sweater on or outfit. Um, we do have shirts. Uh, it's called Let Your Light Shine. And how's, how do they reach them? Go to our website, and there will be a link. <clears throat> okay. All right. So you want to go to our website. So that's the um, divedeeptogether.com website. And you'll see the shirts on our website. Go to the link. And it is not under the well. It is under Let Your Light Shine. Because when I went to the site, that's how I found it. Um, it took me a little time. So that's why I'm telling you. It's under Let Your Light Shine, not the well. So, and then you can get our t-shirts and it's got our logo on it and um, all the proceeds go to us to help our ministry. So that would be cool. And it'd be kind of cool to have a bunch of us walking around with it. <clears throat> and if you buy one, take a picture and show it on our Facebook group. How's that? All right. Um, tithes and offerings. Thank you guys so much for your generosity. Um, the Lord has commanded us to tithe. He says, build up our, your storehouses, um, bring 10% to the Lord. And so you guys have gone above and beyond, and we are so thankful for that. Um, for here, if you would like to leave your offerings today, there are envelopes out on the table. Put your envelopes in the connection box, and we'll grab those after the service. For those of you online, you can continue to send them in. To our mailing address, you can go to our website, you can go to the Faith Life app, you can go to PayPal, you can text, and if you want all those informations, you want to go to tinyurl.com slash Malachi310giving, and that'll give you all the different options and the links right there. And that is it for me. God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you back here on Sunday. And remember to tune in every week on our Facebook or YouTube channel and um, catch our teachings, weekly teachings or daily teachings. That's it. All right. See you guys later, and have a great week. Bye.